Welcome back to another episode of the Legend of Korra Retrospective, Avatar Legend of the Last Retrospective. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. With me today is my co-host, Matt Garingo. That's me, Matt Garingo, the other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're here to talk about book three of Legend of Korra. It's, it's a breath of fresh air, a little bit of a rebirth. There's an Earth Queen here. And uh, our characters are in harm's way. There you go. I hit every episode title that we're here to talk about today for book three change. Wait a minute. Did I fuck up again? <laughs> I thought we were doing five, four, and four or something. Five, four, and four. No, no, no. It's, it's five. No, four. And, and then four. And then five. I, I could have sworn you said five, four, and four. I'm not, this is fantastic. I'll admit. I'll admit when I fuck up, because I do often, I, this one, I know we fucking said five, four, and four. Okay, okay. That's all I'm going to say. All right. So, we, we can do five. I, I, we, whatever. You get to make the decision, I guess. Okay. <laughs> Let's do five, four, and four. I just assumed we were like, all right, you know, the, fir- the first five episodes, they always kind of like have a lot of like wind up. Like this is like the first five episodes are usually like table setting, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, all right, and then they got the four and four. We're doing five because I want to talk about Anne Hage. <laughs> <laughs> all right, fine. And, and then there's also the metal. <laughs> yeah, they're here too. All right, we're picking up two weeks after the events of book two, after kind of the biggest event in like Avatar Wait a minute. Didn't, history. Were we going to talk about actual events recently? I was going to build up to that for a second. Like we were going to jump into it, but I was just teeing up the, the show oh, okay, and then yeah. going to say we have to it talk about It felt like you were going, else, we're, we're already off the rails. We're, it's complete. It's been a weird, weird start to the year. Uh, but yeah, there's some real world Avatar news that we have to talk about. And it's, Avatar news. Yeah, it's that Avatar Studios is going to be a thing apparently. And it's um, going to be co-led by the original creators of The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra to help kind of guide an almost like Star Wars style universe of Avatar stories. What that means is anyone's guess, but I guess they've already announced. They've already announced that they're doing like an animated movie, I think. Um, Fans are already asking for certain things, but we could get into that. So this is going to be a little longer episode. Uh, just to, so we can talk about all this too, but Matt, do you have any thoughts on this like very surprising announcement? Quite frankly. Um, all right. So here's my thing. <laughs> do you think this happened? Do you think that this is the reason the Netflix deal kind of fell apart? I think it's part of it. I don't think it's the reason. From my understanding, it was like a lot of things, and I don't even have a full understanding of that still. But and do you I, actually I would have insider information? Do you actually have insider information, or do you just have internet rumor? No, no, no. Well, uh, someone said something, but it wasn't an internet rumor. It's just I, I am aware that that production in particular was very, like, it was a very tumultuous relationship. Okay. Like I don't have any insight, like more than the internet but i don't have it from the internet if that makes sense okay yeah but um i I just know that was that was not gonna work out okay it just feels like there was maybe a moment where they 
went to Netflix and was like, Paramount is giving us a blank check because <laughs> they're desperate because their other fucking streaming service failed. <laughs> and so they want, they're going to let us do anything. Now you have to counter that. And then Netflix like didn't counter it or that they just let it f- fail, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's just weird. And now there's competing avatar things. And look, there's, there's never been less of a reason to continue a, a live action avatar story than it is now, you know, yeah. like it's, Although, it's so unneeded. Sorry. I'm still open to the idea of a live action avatar, something just not a remake of the original series. Yeah. That's like the one still, you know, and, and we've talked about it before. If you've been listening to us, hopefully half of this entire avatar retrospective, but like, it's not because of the movie that just doesn't work in any capacity. It's mm-hmm. not like, we're not scarred from that. It's just, why do you want to see that again? <laughs> yeah. Like we, we got <laughs> what, the story. What point? Yeah. What, what, what purpose does that serve? You know, mm-hmm. like I, I've just I've never uh, understood the fan desire for that, uh, and I guess and some I of the like fan if, desires already really quick. I just want to say are like people are calling for like an adaptation of the Avatar Kyoshi books and comics that I guess mm-hmm. are out right now that you've uh, talked up a little bit. Uh, I've been more reading adventures; they're, they're, they're fun. Um, more more adventures with the original Avatar gang, Team Avatar, uh, mm-hmm. as they're getting older, or adult stories with them. And like, look, I get the inclination for that. And if this team does do that, like willingly, and they're like, yeah, we have an idea for a story like that, then I trust it. I don't trust it when fans say they want it, though. (laughs) I'm like so poisoned against fan desires at this point in my life that I'm just down for new stories from talented artists and creators. I guess here's my two things that here's all I want to see from Avatar in the future. I don't care if it's live action. I don't care if it's a cartoon, whatever's coming. I just hope that A, they get some more women actually working on this thing, (laughs) which they seem to run into that problem a little bit. And then B, get some actual people of color. (laughs) Yeah. That's like the low bar I have for it at this point. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, this may come as a shock to some people, but they're out there. Yeah. You know, you can get them. And believe it or not, a lot of them are fans of the show. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's another animated property right now that at the time of recording, I believe, was just released or is about to be released. um, And it's kind of come under fire for maybe not being really a positive aspect of representation and just kind of uh, did the thing that the Avatar movie did. with them mm. like oh well, these people are from a similar region of the world they can be interchangeably replaced to represent entire cultures right and what, no, what is this i don't even do know what you're talking about uh raya and the last dragon it's supposed oh, to be yeah. like like a southeast asian story and then they got like all the voice actors from like korea and everyone's like whoa <laughs> yeah um, like kelly marie tran is like the one mm. everyone else is like japan and korea <laughs> Yeah, that's well. They seem to do, they did that with Mulan too. <laughs> yeah, and then they 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 did that with Mulan, and then also threw in Eddie Murphy. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. this is so, a great opening for this episode. This is perfect. This is exactly what I also wanted to talk about. Um, the Winx saga. <laughs> Why? <laughs> do you know of the Winx show? Is that that's that old animated series, right? From like. 
it's one of those ones that they would redub in english i think right? i you know what i have no audiences? fucking idea i have no okay. idea i just know of its existence but they're like fairies on that show right mm-hmm. like they have wings and stuff well netflix um in a co-production with viacom released a live a live action winks show recently what re- yeah that was retooled into being a teen drama a la the vampire diaries and they took out like all the like fairy shit so what is it about it's the vampire diaries oh <laughs> so um if you want a preview <laughs> of what's possibly coming <laughs> Oh, well, uh, that actually does make a lot of sense because, you know, the whole like standing and shipping aspect of like those older shows. Yeah. Like, I mean, the, Netflix is weird because every once in a while they'll have something I really love, but like at mm-hmm. their worst, like the marketing stuff gets really bad and like leans into that weird like subset of internet culture. Right. And so, you know, yeah. there was a report recently that I, I don't think has been verified, but it definitely made waves that. Katara was possibly aged up in the yeah. series and it's like oh how old do they make her it's like oh 15 or 16 that's weird Zuko is 15 or 16 I wonder what that could be for if this is true you know like mm-hmm. it's it's a little raising some questions because Aang's still 12 yeah um if if that's if what they are doing is that <laughs> if they are aging up Katara if they are they're doing avatar the vampire diaries <laughs> like i'm just gonna i'm just that's what they're gonna do yeah and there will um, be there will be they will bend like once an episode <laughs> that the action will be very minimal and most of the stuff will be them standing around in the room being angsty <laughs> also for some reason it'll be set in suburban america <laughs> are there like any great live action young adult shows like that like you know the big one which a little taboo to bring up yeah i was was about to say (laughs) like the one that was popular was buffy the vampire slayer and that's probably just better left in the past right now of Mm. all time specifically but you know for a cultural touchstone that's the one right yeah i think people think about like that's the urban fantasy show Um, yeah other than that like there are fans of certain things i liked riverdale at one point it mm-hmm. lost me because even I have my limits, but um, like I don't, I don't think there's like many good ones out there, right? Yeah, I don't like, I don't know, because I feel like a teen drama with fantasy elements should kind of be up my alley on some level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but whenever I see previews from, I'm like, this isn't for me, <laughs> and that that probably makes more sense. So, like, I've just never seen, I haven't seen that many. Like, I don't, like, I'm making fun of the Vampire Diaries a little bit, but I've never watched it. I don't know anything about it, really. Yeah. Um, oh, you I'm know sure what? It has its um, fans. Uh, I, I really liked The Hundred. Not a perfect show. Oh, yeah. But um, I'd heard good things about it. Yeah. When that show, like, takes off, it's like Lord of the Flies and Game of Thrones. And yeah. so it's kind of awesome. <laughs> um, that's, but that, that you know. Amazing. Yeah, no, there's there's moments in this show where you're just like, oh, shit, this is, like, really compelling and asking hard-hitting questions about, like, culture wars and, like, genocide mm. and what does that do to someone's, like, life if this is what they're living every day? 
but yeah even that you know like i can't recommend to everybody kind of got to be in the cw stuff to, to get your foot in the door so i don't know yeah i think like, yeah i think you know i think they must work for their target audience which is teenagers you know and, like, and me apparently once in a while <laughs> I, I you know, yeah you know i'm not i'm not sure but like i think something that like when you grow out of teen shows is just like oh i'm no i no longer relate to the issues that these characters are going through <laughs> like you know um which is a big part of being in the teen shows mm-hmm. and euphoria which is on hbo for some reason oh yeah is that is that a teen show i've never seen it apparently it is i don't know i just know zendaya's in it and mm-hmm. i like her but i i can't it, all right now let's talk about that. the five episodes i pushed you to talk about <laughs> <laughs> no no it's fine it's still good it's still good chapter one a breath of fresh air but now now we got to talk about the fictional events of the avatar universe (laughs) as portions of republic city are still dealing with spirit vines spirits are just hanging around in the middle of the street now and lo and behold boomy is an airbender yeah which is a really fun reveal and then it's well all right i just here's what i think i'll say we've been this this show it's been a little messy for the first two seasons i think we could both agree on that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're like we, they, they struggle to kind of figure out what they are you can tell like to me it's that a like season one you could tell was kind of meant to originally be a mini series and then it turned into a full series and then two is like kind of trying to re-engineer the whole series to actually have an arc to it <laughs> you mm-hmm. know Three, season three fucking hits the ground running so hard. Like, th- like this one, these f- first five episodes are just a hundred percent solid. It feels like a new show. A like, little bit, yeah. Like a breath of fresh air. I kind of feel like that was the writers' room, you know? Maybe, yeah. <laughs> like where they're just like, "Oh, this is what the show can be now." Like this is we have all the pieces in place. We have all the characters. We have the world. Like now we can finally like really stretch our creative legs almost. Not that the first two seasons weren't creative. I still admire them greatly. Um, but like this one, it, it it's finally like taking its time to like tell the story rather than kind of trying to get pieces in place. Like everything flows yeah. so naturally, like from a moment to moment basis, you know? <laughs> well, if we're talking about like, again, table setting with like, Season one, I honestly feel like season one's a lot smoother than people give it credit for. Um, I thought season one worked for what it was trying to do very well. Not perfect, but I felt it worked fine. Season two is definitely like the table setting season <laughs> where it's like they have to engine, they have to basically like, I mean, Cora literally gets amnesia <laughs> and then becomes a whole new person, right? Like, mm-hmm that's like the whole show. Like every character kind of gets recharged. They have to engineer a breakup between Korra and Mako. Like they, they have to set up this whole spirit thing. So it's like, all right, that's what the show is going to be about. Like, <laughs> and now it's like, once all that like heavy lifting was out of the way with season two, now it's like, all right, we can actually just go forward <laughs> with the show. Yeah. The, the one thing I will say is that that's been very consistent about this show is um, like the idea of progress mm-hmm. and like moving forward, the world is going to change whether people like it or not. Yeah. And this is kind of the first time the series, I think, has done a, jo- like a good job of addressing how the individual like citizens of the world 
are going to start to react to that versus just the main characters. Like it's all like completely balanced here. You know, like there's this great moment where, uh, cause airbenders are starting to pop up all over the world. And Cora yeah. um, just sits down to talk to the new one in Republic city. And she's like, yeah, I don't really like, I don't really know what to do next either, but why don't we go <laughs> figure it out together? You know, yeah, like let's just take a minute to, Oh, it's, it's a terrific scene. That might be like one of the best ones of this series up to this point, or at least my favorite, well, you know? Uh, again, I like this. This whole episode is almost like what Cora kind of did for all of season two, but in one episode <laughs> mm-hmm. where it's like she shows up, she's made this decision that's radically changed the world. And she's like, look, I'm trying to get everything back to normal. <laughs> like She keeps saying that. Like, I'm trying to get everything back to normal. Her, She has an 8% approval rating, <laughs> which I thought was a funny line. And the president is also like not dealing with it very well. <laughs> um and then at the end of it she's like look you guys are just gonna have to deal with it like the world's changed i'm here to try to make things smoother but we're not going back to normal i feel like maybe some other people could use this message right now (laughs) yeah yeah if you haven't seen lesnar corey yet please do it um (laughs) i don't know i don't want to be the guy who's like they would understand if they watch legend of cora but i'm just saying that it feels weird no it's not it's not come and see but you know yeah (laughs) I like that the president is just full on like an antagonist at this point too. Yeah. Like, well, to be fair, it's not like the the president isn't like totally wrong. You know, like I think what's good about it is that he's like, look, no one asked for this. Mm-hmm. It also is like we didn't ask for this, and she's like, well, I'm the avatar. I made the decision. It happened, and everyone's pissed. And honestly, like I like. Yeah, she. I, I think her decision is ultimately right, but people do kind of have a right to be angry about it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, there's it, the the isn't like the running water shut off in half the city because of all the spirit vines. Oh yeah, yeah. Like one of the reporters <laughs> asks her about that. Yeah, so that, that's and, like a valid like you know point of discussion at least. Um, yeah, and but also, I, I say he's like an antagonist just because like every opportunity he gets in the back half of this like he's confronting her very publicly to kind of yeah. like get the heat off his own back you know well you know it's like well you know because there's a, actually a good moment where Tenzin's like look you're not the president you don't have to give in to public opinion like you're supposed to, you're the avatar you got to follow your instincts you got to help lead the world into this new age of enlightenment or whatever you want to call it <laughs> this new spiritual age and like, so the president, you know, it's like, well, I, I'm getting blamed for this as well. So I'm going to blame the avatar. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey guys, I, I'm mad at the avatar too, right? I'm one of you. Want to get a beer? You know, he's trying <laughs> to be a man of the Listen people. here, Jack. Yeah. I mean, it's the truth that like, you know, politicians don't really believe in anything because they're supposed to believe what the people believe. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it, yeah, uh, it's, I don't know, it just, it sets it up so well. And then it's just like this first episode, not to jump ahead too far, well, we do all this table setting in this episode. Like Cora's like trying to get things back to normal. At the end, she's like, look, things are going back to normal. I made the decision. We're going to live with this now. And everyone's like, all right, Cora, I think that's the right thing to do. And she's like, I'm pretty happy with my decision. And then we get introduced to the villain of the series whose whole the season, whose whole thing is like, there shouldn't be someone like the Avatar who makes decisions like that. <laughs> and that's a fucking great conflict. No, it's so good. Like, I think the one thing that, the avatar series as a whole has been so good at is the antagonists are 
while being like generally fully defined characters, you know, maybe mm. one or two asterisks here or there for some of the big bads, <laughs> yeah. but they tend to be like representative of the conflict that the protagonists have to, to overcome or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this might be the best one. We'll see how I feel after this discussion uh, for this book, but like he, he's up there. I, Zaheer's a, a definite fan favorite for I will say uh, Avatar villains. Easily the scariest motherfucker on the show. Because <laughs> <laughs> like within a minute, he like basically leaves five people to die. Yeah, and it's just one of those things where like, you know, when you when you watch these shows, like I mean, to be fair, the last season the villain fucking killed God. So <laughs> <laughs> like the there's there's kind of like that with that happening there is a sense that like wow core can kind of go anywhere as a show <laughs> like if they're going to go that far to destroy the whole avatar connection thing like that's a pretty big shakeup. and so when he's introduced like for the honestly for the first time i feel like he's a genuine threat to Korra. <laughs> mm-hmm. like he, he feels like the first villain where i'm like he could actually maybe kill Korra. <laughs> Like, like deep down, you know, a children's show would never do that. But it's like, man, he's he's either going to kill her or just ruin her life. Yeah. And uh, for those that have seen this show before, you know, Matt's not too far off. Hey. With, uh, <laughs> the danger aspect of this character. It gets uh, gets interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but let's let's catch up with some other characters. So we got Boomies now. An airbender. Yeah, Tenzin. Boomy falls off a cliff and almost dies. Yeah. Because <laughs> he knitted a sweater for his spirit friend. He has his, his spirit flying bunny boomju. Yeah. And then we got the, the Tenzin, who is like obviously very proud and excited about a new world of possibilities. And I really like the moment with him and his kids where they're like, Why are you crying? And he's like, Oh, I just wish your your grandfather was here to see this. Uh, and they're like, "Oh, we'll help you," because like it's a big task. And he's like, "Oh, I know you will." And it's just—it's a really hey, sweet Cora. moment. I really like the family hey, stuff. Hey, Cora, maybe you can communicate with his past self. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, can't do that anymore. <laughs> no, no. But hey, you know what? She's clearly doing all right at the start of this. Because uh, yeah, when, what's fucking Bolin is like? Oh, we we're not doing that anymore or whatever. <laughs> She's yeah. like, no. No, it's a thing of the past now. Sorry. No, no, it's it's uh, it's great with her just being like she, you know. I feel like Cora at this point is like finally coming to her own. Where like she keeps beating herself up, is like I'm the Avatar. I should understand this stuff. And then it's like tens and such days. Like, look, you're not really here to solve everyone's day to day problems. <laughs> like your 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 duty is like higher than that. And I think, it's, it's, again, it's one of those things where, like, Aang had, to be fair to Aang, he had a very simple mission, which was punch the Fire Lord. <laughs> like, <laughs> at the end of the day, he, that was his goal for that entire show. Whereas Korra's dealing with, like, all sorts of competing political factions. And also just housing and shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there's that great moment where we see her, like, she is more in touch with her calmer spiritual side now she tries to do that spirit maneuver that her uncle taught her before you know the insanity um but like (laughs) and then it makes like the vines and the spirits more like active and she ends up destroying another section of housing in the city and forcing more people out of their houses and it's like yeah that's 
we'll probably just leave that alone for a bit. Yeah, yeah, that's probably not the best way to handle. I like that even the spirits like aren't happy. <laughs> like, <laughs> which is a good little note. Um, but yeah, but then like you know, it's this thing of like, all right, so this is a problem, but then we're getting all these new Airbenders, which is you know that should objectively be a good thing, <laughs> right? Like the the air nomads were basically wiped out, but now that Korra has done this, there's air nomads everywhere. Yeah, and also uh, the terrorists. Yeah, that's the thing. And then it, it's it's actually a great cut where it's just like I can't wait to meet all of these new air vendors that are out there. And then we like it's like oh no, the worst guy on earth got the power. <laughs> like, yeah. um, well, one thing we 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 have to return to the old uh, well, <laughs> which is Mako sucks. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, but he sucks so much because now he's also sleeping beneath his, his own- desk at the police station. Yeah. And I, what's great now is that it's like he sucks, but now at least he's only hurting himself. <laughs> <laughs> so there's definite growth going on. You know what? That's kind of like, uh, what's that Pokemon Slowpoke who like is so stupid it does damage to itself? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's kind of Mako. A little bit, yeah. Because it's like, because Cora's like, hey, look, you can stay at the island. He's like, no, I can't. I just can't be around you, Cora, because we used to have a thing. And she's like, no, look, I understand it's over. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, you wouldn't understand, Cora. I got to be a loner. And she's like, I think I understand pretty well. I was also in a relationship with you. <laughs> you know, Marco, when you were in a relationship, I was also a part of that. <laughs> and I got over it. And he's like, no, you just wouldn't get it, Cora. <laughs> oh, there you know a who's... moment where she gets where where Cora's like, all right, I'm leaving to go find the air nomads. That might be the next episode, but uh, and Mako's like, I'm not going. I can't go because I'm Mako. <laughs> like everyone kind of bullies him, and he's like, all right, fine, but I have to let Lynn know, and she's gonna be so pissed. I wish there had been like a cut to like the police station of people celebrating that he was gone. <laughs> That would make the, this a perfect season opening. Yeah. yeah. It would have been like just like the champagne's just out. He's like, he's no longer sleeping in the office. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, speaking of growth, also Bolin is starting to poke more fun at Mako too. Cause when they're mm-hmm. asking him, like, oh, where, like, you sure he doesn't want to come back? He does like a quick little fold with his hair by running his hand through his head. And he's like, no, I need to be alone. <laughs> and he's mm-hmm. sleeping in the office. It's, I need to, it's I need so to funny. Serious. Yeah, it's just yeah. great. Another, there's another really great moment in this first episode, um, which is that Cora and Asami finally get a moment together. Yes, and they're allowed to just be friends. And yeah. the characters are so excited about just being friends and not having conflict. Mm-hmm. That's and this nice. is one where, again, like, you know, we, we've dunked on uh, creators of things we like listening to the fans a little too much um this might this might be a moment where creators listen to the fans in the right way (laughs) because people were really upset about the possibility of Korra and Asami being competing characters you know in a love triangle Mm -hmm. I'm sure you remember the Tumblr discourse (laughs) oh boy do I yeah and it feels like they they really did listen here because instead of like trying to get as much drama out of it as possible, they kind of just go like, "Look, hey, you know, we've we both dated Mako, we both kissed Mako when the other person was dating Mako, and we're both over it." Like, 
It's like they were allowed to be honest with each other and be like, yeah, we were being dumb, but like we can still be friends. Which is like a shockingly rare thing to see. Yeah, it still feels like really like how many great female relationships, like just friendships, are there in like any media right now? Like any big ones, you know? I'm sure there's examples out there, but maybe they're just not for things targeted at us. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, 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 there's, stuff, um, there's always stuff out there at the end of the day. But, like, yeah, even think about, like, it, Star Wars. There's, like, mm-hmm. one lead female character always, and then that's, like, it. Yeah. And, she has no, and also, to show that she's strong, she has no friends and no support network. <laughs> like, Yeah. <laughs> Like that's that seems to be a recurring thing where it's like, oh man, wrote this. <laughs> <laughs> True wisdom is when we accept things as they are. I think Tenzin said that. <laughs> D- did he really? Yeah, he says that in this episode. Oh, okay. And then oh, we're right. introduced to a guy who's trying to overthrow everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I also want to give a shout out to one of the funniest moments in the series when uh Asami's like, oh, here are the car keys. You're the avatar, master of all the elements. You should learn how to drive. And yeah. like immediate cut to slow down. That's the break. That's the break. Didn't she wreck it in the first season? Yeah. Like, didn't we like she's like, don't worry, I parked and it was like hit like a pole or something. Yeah. <laughs> it was terrific. I don't remember um how much more driving she does for the rest of the series, but uh that should be more of a recurring element. Yeah, I mean, just like for a comedy alone. If you yeah. can get more out of it, great, but... I feel like that, people might be hysterical. scared to do a joke like that because like, there's a, like all our stereotypes are horrible and it's like women can't drive, you know? Oh, so yeah. if you make a joke about a woman who can't drive... But it's like the best thing about fucking Detective Columbo <laughs> is that he, he drives a shit car and can't drive. Like... <laughs> it's like, no, that's what makes him great. It's like, you can do that with these characters. <laughs> all right, I guess we could move on to the next... Yeah, we can go to the second one, episode. Yeah. Now, their, their new journey, or their new adventure, is to go unite all the airbenders and rebuild the Air Nomad Nation. Mm-hmm. And Henry Rollins as the here is also out there. Oh, yeah, Henry Rollins. We should point out that Henry Rollins is this, and he's great. Um, Henry he's Rollins. also a white man. <laughs> yes, there's that. <laughs> I mean, like... That's just, that just keeps happening. Sorry. Yeah. He's, he's great. For what this is, it's great, but uh, come on, hey, <laughs> don't do this gonna, again. What are you gonna do? What do you? <laughs> but no, he's already out there by this episode, like reassembling his little like anti-avatar team. I guess. Well, it's weird because it's like they're going around trying to get the Airbenders, and he's getting his like squad back together. It's this great like com- parallel stories happening. Um, I was gonna quote Bane, but I don't think I'll do that. <laughs> no, no, Zaheer's not Maybe. really a Bane. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, I was just I was thinking of like because they're more initiated than uh, the other people because no one wants to be an air nomad. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I love that this episode, Chapter Two Rebirth. Like they could have spent like an entire like half season just trying to go to new towns every time. Yeah, and like recruiting airbenders and failing or whatever this but could no, have been the whole show <laughs> like, yeah and, and they just end up knocking it all out in one episode and because that's like, all you need you need just you just need like the gist of the story you know yeah that like no one really wants to leave and 
there's valid reasons for a lot of people not wanting to go with them. It's like they, they, the first dude that we meet is like, he's a father. He has a farm. He's a beloved he's like, member a of fucking, the town. Yeah, I got a family and a life. I can't go become an air nomad. <laughs> yeah, you know, and already they're getting hit with like legitimate problems with, you know, progressing to like a hopeful future. It's like, it's not yeah. cut and dry. It's, it's just a hard process to kind of navigate through. Well, and, you know, no one really saw that coming. Is terrible. <laughs> like, oh, you know, Tenzin just sucks at being a people person, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. so does Cora, so it's okay. Well, Cora tries to kidnap the one kid. He <laughs> <laughs> was voiced by Mon- fucking John Heater from fucking yeah. Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, that is a fantastic bit. <laughs> that feels like it was, it's like, it was the exact right time where you could cast napoleon dynamite as a napoleon dynamite type yeah oh, like if you had so done funny. it like two years earlier it would have been too early <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah john heater deserved a bigger career but i guess once you're napoleon yeah. dynamite that kind of kind of narrows down your, your your choices isn't he a mormon is he aren't all the people that were like involved in napoleon dynamite mormons oh i have no idea like, I think it was, like, kind of like a Brigham Young University-like group. <laughs> oh, I did not I could, know I, that. I, I could be completely wrong. Oh, wow. I'm pretty sure he's Mormon, but I don't know about... I, I, I thought a lot of the people involved were Mormons. Huh. So like that, that, which, you know, I'm not, like, I'm not even here to, like, dunk on Mormonism. It's just, like, th- there's, like, a weird, like, Mormon subculture in this country and they have like their own science fiction, their own fantasy, and their own like brand of comedy. Like, what? They really do, yeah. Like there's like like they have a comedy school like at Brigham Young University. Oh, I wow, I'm learning so much today. And it's this weird, like it's it's a mixture of like wholesome humor, but also like incredibly strange and off-the-wall humor. And I feel like maybe like once these guys like, because they all tried to like make it bigger in Hollywood and it didn't really work. And I feel like maybe they just didn't mesh with like the Hollywood machine. Huh. Well, and, all yeah. I know is that the director of Napoleon Dynamite is supposed to do Shanghai Dawn, the third and final installment in the Shanghai trilogy. Wow, we're all begging for that. I like those two. I like yeah, those but does anyone movies. want another one? <laughs> Probably not. Aaron Taylor Johnson's in the second one. Oh boy, he plays uh, Charlie Chaplin. Great. I'm not going to say it holds up. I'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> those early 2000s comedies, you know, kind of had to be there. Roger Ebert gave Napoleon Dynamite one and a half stars. <laughs> <laughs> the movie makes no attempt to make Napoleon likable. <laughs> It contained a kind of studied stupidity that sometimes passes as humor. Sorry, Ebert. Got to disagree with you on that one. Holy Diamond was such a weird, like, flash in the pan thing, though. (laughs) No, yeah, like, I love Napoleon Dynamite. Mm -hmm. But, like, you can't ever do that again, you know? Saying you love Napoleon Dynamite, though, kind of feels like if you go, like, I love the big Lebowski. You know, where it's like oh, there's, there's a lot that. Of baggage to that term. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where it's like, like I, like I, 
I worship the dude and stuff like that. It's like, no, I just oh, think yeah, the Big yeah. Lebowski's a very funny movie. And it's like, yeah, you know. No, totally, totally. It's like if you have a poster of Napoleon Dynamite, The Dark Knight, Pulp Fiction, and the Big Lebowski up in your college dorm, it's like, yeah. I don't know if I want to hang out with you just on principle because of what like surrounds those films. I'm gonna ask some very pointed questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will yeah. not judge you immediately, but I'm gonna ask questions. <laughs> I'm just gonna play the I, field for a second here. My fucking seventh grade English teacher had a Napoleon Dynamite poster. What? I have no idea why. <laughs> he responded I very strongly to that film. <laughs> I guess so. Vote for Pedro. Everyone had that shirt, remember? <laughs> I do remember. I probably still have mine somewhere. Uh, mine, I, I, I think mine like got ripped, and that's why I don't have it anymore. But probably for the best. I had it for. I had it until high school. So, oh uh, boy. <laughs> but there's no voting for Pedro, and there's no voting for anybody in the Earth Kingdom because it's still a kingdom. It's we still a monarchy. The Earth Kingdom just yet. Mm. I just want well we I just want to talk about uh the other people uh his ears breaking out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well that's kind of, is that the Earth Kingdom? No. Not yet. No, he's they, in the Earth Kingdom, mm-hmm. and then the other ones are like in the ocean and the fire nation. Yeah, well, because they all have like cages that are specifically built for them, which is like another great way of just setting up that these people are like unstoppable killing machines. Yeah, so we got the first one we come across is an earthbender named Gazan, voiced by yeah. Peter Giles. I don't, I don't know who that is, but, but uh, he's in the middle of the ocean, and he can melt like Earth. Yes, he's like a lava bender, and he creates like this cool little like spherical like predator blade. I know there's like yeah. an actual term for that, but I don't know what it is. So I'm sorry. <laughs> Looks like the thing the predator has, but uh, like uh, just on a fundamental level. These villains are just kind of badass. No, it's great. You know? And it's, again, it's just like, it. They, we set all these characters up in like three episodes. Like, it's like you get their whole deal. Like, yeah. we don't totally, like, we don't know what they're after, but it's like you totally buy them as intimidating, which is what you kind of need to sell this early on. And that they have a, a, a deep, like, belief. We don't know what it is yet. But yeah. when Kazan asks to hear, like, well, like, what's up with the earth bending he thinks it's bestowed upon him because their mission is like a righteous path you know it's like i believe this is a sign that i got airbending because our mission is righteous yeah and that's like oh that's that's a scary thought that's concerning <laughs> yeah because that's like the, look, the, got... the last the last two guys were also very righteous uh-huh and you know like when you have something like that bestowed upon you from like the, the spirits, mm-hmm. why wouldn't you believe that? You know, it's, that's yeah. a scary like possibility and a scary counterpoint to Cora's journey. It's almost like if you keep talking about how America is a sinful nation and do, then do everything possible to help make the country collapse. And then the country starts collapsing. You're going to think the country's being punished for being sinful. I guess. Yeah. Shout out to yeah. the governor of Texas. Oh, boy. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Oh, yeah. Good luck, Texans. Yeah. It's, You're uh, going to need it. Sorry. 
I wish there was something better to say. Yeah, that's just a downer. Fuck hey, Otto came by. Thank you, Otto. Otto, what's happening? You can't sit with me, I'm recording. Uh, we also meet the armless waterbender, Ming-Wa. An armless waterbender. Which is just great. It's so cool. Like, there's just these little things they add to give the characters more dimension. Mm-hmm. You know, because like, truthfully, we don't get to know these this crew that well. Like, yeah. that's, there's not that much going on beneath the surface. But there's also something intimidating about that because it's like, oh, they have nothing else. This this mission is like what their life is. Mm-hmm. That's a well, not that's to jump ahead too much, but I, I almost read them as like they're an inverse team avatar. Oh no, totally. That's like, totally what they are. Yeah, I like they they went on their own team avatar mission and failed. <laughs> this is like we're what we're watching right now is let's say like fucking uh, Avatar: Last Airbender went a different direction and Aang lost, right? Mm-hmm. And everyone ended up in prison, and then they were in prison. <laughs> And then they were in prison for 20 years, and then this would then they like they finally get that moment where they can all break out, right? Like they're they this would um, this would be the triumphant moment for everyone. <laughs> but instead they're the villains. Yeah, instead of the Fire Nation, it's the White Lotus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like they all check the boxes of like they they also have like a very similar dynamic to like Team Avatar. <laughs> mm-hmm. Where like they even like have them making like jokes at each other occasionally. <laughs> yeah, like, they're like a like... little family unit, but yeah, you know. exactly. <laughs> and again, it's it's like they're they are a team avatar that lost. And it's this weird thing where it's like the the show like very much I think more than any other villains kind of gets you to see where they're coming from more than anyone else. But they're also the most intimidating because their like goal from the outset is we're gonna kill the Avatar. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of discussions we've had about like this weird pop culture trend where it's like, well, you know, the villains have a point, and mm. this season actually is like one of the times where you actually get like a, a justifiable reasoning for that kind of storytelling. Yeah rather than just the villain saying something that kind of makes sense and then they still do like horrible horrible things yeah that are disconnected from that you know like their mission and their villainy is tied into the narrative in a way that's more like thematically important than well, just it's so weird when bullshit. we try to make villains understandable where they're like like the villain's motive will be like actually i was just trying to end world hunger and that's why i murdered children with my bare hands <laughs> and it's like wait a minute like you know that's those two things don't really fit and then these guys are like we think what we're doing is right and what we're gonna we've come to the conclusion that killing the avatar is the right thing to do (laughs) and it's like you know you're like i'm not because we all like cora at this point (laughs) so we're naturally invested to not see her die but it's the i don't it just finds a better balance than i think a lot of other things normally do in terms of the writing i guess but again i just the, the the in terms of just visual storytelling you just get the whole they don't need to talk a ton to get everything you know mm-hmm. just the way they act together it's like this is a fucking group that has just been waiting for this moment they are they are friends and also like cult-like figures and it's great also a gray delise is back as a uh, mingwa 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, really not not as fun of a performance because the character is just not like the same type of character. But um, but yeah, nice, she's it's, she's it's, terrific. Nice for her to be back. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's kind of like uh, what's what's his name came back in season one. Oh, um, uh, Dante Bosco. Yeah, it's it's a little similar to that. Another character that just disappeared at some point. Oh, he, well, no, he wasn't the last season for like he was, but very two. very little. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, you know, like hey. a character where they didn't totally know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. But hey, what what are you gonna do? We we don't need him. We have enough characters. Yeah, he's there if he ever wants to come back, or if they ever have something for him to do, and you you don't need. He's not big enough for you to need him. There you go. So. But speaking of returns, we also get the return of Zuko. <laughs> oh, yeah. At the very end of this episode, voiced by fucking Bruce Davison. Yeah, what, what's up with that? <laughs> fucking. <laughs> uh... Look, he does a good job. Um, weird <laughs> choice. <laughs> yeah, not, not where I'd go. Um... I had my pick of the litter. Uh, Ken Watanabe, honestly. Oh, that, that's a pretty good choice, yeah. Yeah, but um, no, I'm Bruce Davison. <laughs> yeah, that's bizarre. What, uh, I'd like to know the history behind that, quite frankly. Um, was he, like, walking by the studio? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bruce, it's me. Oh, Bruce, Bruce, the creator of Avatar. Come in here. <laughs> <laughs> Just read these lines. Like, what is it? It doesn't matter. Just fucking read it. <laughs> yeah, no, there, there's like a, there's like a, a history character performance there, but like, yeah, I don't get it. Um, yeah, it doesn't. I, I it, think it's only weird because we're talking about it. You know? Yeah, <laughs> the 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 story and the character appearance itself completely works. Mm-hmm. I just, it's weird. <laughs> it, yeah, it's an odd choice. I won't downplay that. <laughs> um, but I, I like seeing Zuko again. Yeah. Also, was pretty sure he was dead up to this point. But hey, what do yeah. I know? This is a, a thing. I will say I'm a little annoyed with this. Just on like a like. But again, one thing that is the Avatar lore kind of justifies it if you give a shit, which is that Aang dies at a young age compared to a lot of other Avatars which is a very sad detail to add to your children's franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes a little more sense that like the other characters are still alive in this world. But uh, yeah, I'm a little annoyed that we kind of get a few of these. Look who's still around in the final uh, seasons. Yeah, I will say um, for this season in particular, that it actually does make sense. With the context of all that being said, uh, now that Korra is out like fully uh, being the avatar for the entire world, she's no longer just located in Republic City anymore. She's out fulfilling her avatar mission to protect and like rebuild the society that now the rest of the world uh, has to kind of support her in a way. You know? So I, I just thought it tracks a little bit better here. Then Good thing she's maybe made some a ton other of friends. <laughs> she's working on it. Speaking of friends, the next episode is the Earth Queen. 
Wait, no, no, no. They also recruit a little kid named Kai, who is oh, also yeah, kind of Aladdin. Kai. That's my fault. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I, I like this kid. He's a little asshole. And what I if like he just that. did uh, the song, the introduction song from Aladdin. <laughs> I mean, that, that kind of covers the same beats. One jump like, ahead of the need. bread line. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's a little bit more of an asshole, though, because he's like, no, wait, I, I, I was an asshole kid. But I got yeah. airbending, and now I'm good now. Just and trust me on this. Go, I'm going to keep mugging people. <laughs> yeah. There's I like a lot that. Of, uh, a lot of parallels between Legend of Korra and Aladdin, because Aladdin's another <laughs> uh, animated thing where the characters are all people of color, and all most of them are voiced by white motherfuckers. Yeah, what the fuck? <sighs> we, need, we need to fix this problem, like, yesterday. They need Gilbert in... Legend of Korra. <laughs> he should have been trying the, uh... to save the chump avatar. <laughs> <laughs> he should have been the um, that that library spirit. Oh my god! <laughs> I just don't believe it. Like he's coming. <laughs> um, but don't no, let I the like... fact that my library's hidden dissuade you from coming to my library. <laughs> but i i like kai and i like that immediately bolin is like oh i have a, like a little brother now and mako is like i know this bullshit because i was this bullshit <laughs> so there's like a fun dynamic there like all the new like character arrangements are really exciting yeah uh, and then also jenora obviously has like huge crush on on the new boy so that was that's cute yeah that's cute kid stuff cute, cute yeah. kid stuff she's been stuck on that fucking island forever I know. It's, it's like no this wonder is her only all friends were fucking spirit animals. I know. <laughs> but th- this is why this this season's good for everyone because they all need to stretch their legs yeah. and spend more time outside making new friends. Exactly. And That's the lesson. Go outside, kids. And then not not right, not right now though. At the time of recording, <laughs> we're still in. Yeah, yeah. They, things are yeah. not great right now. Yeah. Um, also not great is the Earth Queen. So after failing to recruit any other airbenders except for a thief <laughs> child, uh, which which Tenzin, I, I think, rightfully brings up as like a concern. He's like, is this what I really want? Like for the new airbenders? <laughs> like it, this, this is what we got so far. But Cora is right. She says that like, you know, he's just a kid. He needs some guidance. And isn't that what they're there to do? Right. For the world. For the new airbenders. Oh, heard, it, we, we did brush over Bolin's little uh, show they put on. Um, oh, yeah, that's tons of fun. Oh, look, look at these powerful airbenders. <laughs> yeah, Korra and Tenzin fail miserably to get people interested in Bolin's like, everyone just have fun. So see, you know my point stands. This season yeah. is about everyone needing to have more fun. It's great to just see Bo, uh, I mean, Tenzin and Korra fail together. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> as opposed because they're usually at each other's throats, it's better to see them like trying to work together and both fail. Yeah, I think these two episodes are like the longest stretch of them not like fighting each other. Yeah, they, they're uh, just they finally like that, in... that much at all in like these first few episodes. I can't think of like a big moment, like, other no, than, like I don't being slightly annoyed with each other. Yeah, no, it's just like familial disagreements, honestly. Like now they're totally like in tandem. Yeah. That that's really nice. That's that's growth. 
right there. Or try some tough love, and she took a page out of Avatar Kyoshi's book and tried to just kidnap a guy. But, <laughs> you know what? You know, she's worried about not being able to contact her past self. She's clearly in contact with Kyoshi. <laughs> Maybe Kyoshi could have helped with the Earth Queen because the Earth Queen's a. She's something, all right. Yeah. A, a butthole. It's great. Well, it's it's great to see that like Bossing say has declined in the intervening time. And it's done like there's there's some very obvious ones where it's like, oh my God, look how gross and smelly the city is and all the food. It's like this used to be like the great city in the other show. And now it's like now that no one really needs to live there. <laughs> and there's this great other city nearby. In fact, there's two other cities, but we'll get to that other one later. I don't know how to put it. It's just there's there's like obvious signs that the city has kind of fallen apart. But then there's stuff like remember how the monorail used to work on the old show, like the train, like where it was just pushed by air earthbenders. Mm -hmm. And now it's just like an electric monorail. Yeah. And it's like, so the city's kind of like lost its importance. Yeah, what was I, I, we brought this place called. Um Oh shoot, uh, Omashu. Yeah, do we ever see Omashu again? I, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think we do. No, that would have been interesting to revisit yeah. with similar context. You know, like yeah. how did it like improve or get worse? Because yeah, exactly. Um, we we had a discussion about like Bossing Say's like uh, a thematic politics, I guess, mm -hmm. in the in the Last Airbender retrospective, <laughs> and I, I think it's very like pointed how they uh they wrapped up the bossing say stuff in that show and how they continue it here like i don't i don't think any of this stuff was a mistake yeah uh, as like a tiered city you know like the, the lower ring has completely just become like uh what's that place in downtown la skid <laughs> row yeah where it's Otto, like jesus Otto. <laughs> But there oh, was um, our, oh, our beloved mayor of Los Angeles, Eric Garcetti, was like, you know, Skid Row is smaller than it's ever been. It's like, yeah, but homelessness is higher than it's ever been. You fucking asshole. You know, smaller. like <laughs> small means good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's kind of like a similar vibe here, because even like the rest of the team avatar here, they're, they're flying over in Asami's Zeppelin. It's like, ew, that place is gross. We don't want to go there. Oh, thank God. Look at the rest of the city. Look how nice it is. And it's like. But that doesn't solve anything. There's clearly yeah. a problem here that needs to be addressed. And I think one of the strengths of these early episodes, too, is like we're three episodes in and we've already recontextualized the world of this individual series, the world of the last Avatar series, and the world about to come in the rest of the series. Yeah. That's nuts. But uh, Earth Queen's a piece of shit, much like Eric Garcetti. <laughs> <laughs> She is completely the opposite of the Earth King, and I think this is part of like the there's something like that I don't understand about the world today. What? Um, how these liberal politicians keep getting popular outside of their cities, even though they're hated within their own cities. Well, I don't know if I have an answer to that, but I do have an answer for why these liberal shitheads are. Um, liberal in the first place it's because they can't call themselves conservatives because conservatives are not in vogue anymore mm. that's kind of it 
I don't have. I guess an that makes sense. But but, but but I mean, but these these guys. I mean, I'm I'm thinking more because I'm from New York, so Cuomo, we've had Cuomo problems for a while. Oh yeah. Um, which hopefully by the time this is out, he has left office. <laughs> that would be great. I mean, it's unfortunate that it's taken this long, and it's very unfortunate about the circumstances leading to it. Yeah. But fuck him. Well, it's a little frustrating that you can kill tons of old folks. <laughs> And then, it yeah, goes, and that's not why you leave office. Yeah, but he was saying one on thing Donald is, Trump, so yeah, you know, and his brothers, they were funny when they fought on TV, remember? Yeah, and hey, look, Everyone, you know what? I'm only human. That is a little charming. That doesn't give him a pass for anything. Yeah, you know, sorry. It's just one of those reminders why you shouldn't stand politicians. Yeah, don't, don't you know, stand anyone. People yeah. are more complicated than just like, fictional characters you know? i stand my friends and family <laughs> okay I, I i support them in their endeavors yeah well that is like different though you know yeah i i just you know i understand like you, you get you some people were like i'm gonna go to bat for that person whenever right like i understand that's like a human thing to do like but d- never with politicians just never like there's no reason yeah, refer to them as your employee, if anything. Exactly. They're the one employee on the planet and that it, can be abused. And again, it, no, I wouldn't get that one. I mean, no, no, totally leave it in. Because I mean, you're kind of right. I believe we should be mean to these people, but it's also something <laughs> where it's, but really, we, what we should do is fire these people when they don't do their job. Yeah. That's really what we should be doing. Still don't have the 2000. Yeah, it's our money. What are yeah. you doing with it? Yeah, you know? we're, we're we're gonna we're gonna put it in this weird nebulous spending bill, and then somehow it's all gonna end up in the hands of the already rich people. How does this keep happening? <laughs> the lesson is politicians were never gonna get us out of the problem we're in. No, so, no. Uh, organize and get ready. Yeah, because there's a storm coming, <laughs> Mister Wayne. No. <laughs> we should bring back throwing pies at politicians. Oh, yeah, I'm down for like, that. That's a very, like, very easy thing to do. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? It's violence, but you can't kill anyone with it, and yeah. uh, it's not a deadly weapon, so... And if you do, you should almost get praised. For killing someone with a pie? Yeah, like, that took some skill. <laughs> I, I guess, yeah. Oh, my God, I think a... Doesn't one of the henchmen die in The Long Kiss Goodnight from getting hit in the face with a pie? Oh yeah, I think something that like when he that breaks happened. into her house, right? Yeah, or at least, at least like knocks him out or something. What a great what a strange film! Strange film. <laughs> oh, God, it's a great film. I like that movie. Yeah, the Earth Queen's a piece of shit. Yeah, and she's she servants bad. Yeah, it's almost she... like she's an outdated form of government. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's why like this is more like the insightful political commentary the show kind of delves into, mm-hmm. where it's like. Yeah, this this like doesn't need to exist anymore. Like, yeah. look at how poorly everything else is around her, except for like her one region of the city. You know, mm-hmm. like everything else is just miserable. And as we'll see, even those people that she's whose life she's making miserable tend to still like view her as like a positive figure because that's all they know. Much like Mako and Bolin's grandmother, who they meet because they they chase after the kid. Kai who robs them <laughs> and is yeah. robbing people and they get <laughs> stranded and then they they kind of pick a fight with a guy 
but not well, really. Because they're, like, they're like, oh, look, we're stuck. We're going to have to live off the streets like we used to until we can get back to the upper ring because we were chasing Kai. Maybe we should try to steal fruit again. And Mako's like, we can't do that anymore because I'm, I'm Mako. And, yeah, and Mako then Valen's like, well, we could try this. And mm-hmm. like the food's all rotten. And so the fruit vendor's like, you guys thinking of stealing my food? You better watch out. And they're like, no, it's rotten. It's gross. It's so stupid. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's a really dumb thing. But then it turns out they're related, which is even dumber. But yeah, but I mean, yeah, yeah, no, this all of this is so good because like it just so like flows effortlessly from like scene to scene and like character revelation and character evolution, you know. And yeah. like Bolin was originally like messing with Mako, like, imagine we meet our grandmother on this trip. Like, that would be crazy. And then, like, actually happens. The rest of the family that they meet in this episode didn't know that their parents were killed. And uh, that's actually, like, a really harsh, like, realization they all come to together. Like, imagine not knowing that for that long. That's a very fucked up moment. Yeah. Um, But it's very sweet to see, like, this family, like, bond kind of unite them in that way. You know, And, and Mako moves on from his iconic red scarf yeah and he gives it to his grandma the first thing we think about when we think about mako is his red scarf oh mako that's a you know mako is growing which is nice to see yeah the people are really starting to to change and of course that is the subtitle for this book yeah change here's the thing like bolin is set up to be like the Sokka of the series you know Mm-hmm. but it's really Mako. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think maybe they're split. Like, they're both kind of Sokka if he was split into two separate people. Possibly. There might be other parallels to that coming up. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 To, to get the Earth Queen's assistance to look for new airbenders, she has to basically go and become like, what would you call that? A bookie for the Earth Queen? Yeah, it's... Uh weird she's got to collect taxes it's one of those things where it's a little bit like a dumb cora moment where it's shady from like the Mm get-go like cora maybe should have seen that one comment but yeah look cora is a fantastic character and she has grown tremendously over the course of these last couple months she's also a little bit of an airhead once in a while she thinks with her fists yeah you know, as, as big as her knuckles are. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it can only fit so much brain in there, I guess. I don't know. She's honestly but, um, a little bit like how I wish maybe like a Superman was characterized, you know? No. Oh. <laughs> a little bit. Like she kind of is hitting all the like Superman beats that I've always wanted to see in a movie that they never do. I, I, I see Superman as more of an Aang type thing, but. Maybe that's... I guess, but I, I think there's a thing of like Superman where he's... It's that thing of like, if all you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail, you know? <laughs> like... <laughs> I, I see what you're saying, for sure. But Superman's first instinct is to punch everything. <laughs> like, yeah. So you gotta give them problems that they can't punch. Yeah, exactly. And like, he figures it out at some point, so does Korra. <laughs> mm-hmm. Unless you just make your movie about punching. <laughs> <laughs> but hey look sometimes it's nice to watch someone get punched in the face real good sometimes it's good for maybe 10 minutes 
and even that's stretching it. <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say. All right, all right. Um, speaking of problems, the dialogue so are still see, in town. Was it never Superman? We got tricked into fighting wars for in South America for Ronald Reagan. Are you talking about Dark Knight Returns? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah. See, so there's there's very Cora parallels. You know what? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, hang on. Huh. I guess Frank the Tank. I don't know. I I just I've seen him so conservative, you know. Yeah. Like for so long that I I don't know. But maybe there's like a connection there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Frank, uh-huh. uh, 9-11 kind of broke him, but... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, like, there's no coming back from that, but, like, huh. Like, not to get too off-topic on this show, but, um, <laughs> like, I guess his Dark Knight 3 is supposed to be more, like, like, almost, like, an apology for his conservatism. I haven't read it, so this is just what I've heard. And that I guess the last one dark knight for the golden child is supposed to be like the about fourth a fourth one <laughs> yeah like it just came out i guess and it's supposed to be about like a like the robin who just became batman as like an anarchist against an oppressive system so i don't know maybe maybe there's there's more going on in the last couple of years but um that does not absolve him of his uh shit like holy terror <laughs> Which is yeah. uh, wow. Uh, also, didn't like wasn't Dark Knight three like co-written with someone? Oh yeah, was it Grant Morrison? No, it wasn't Grant Morrison. But who was it? Hang on, hang on. I'm, I'm curious. I might now. have actually read it if it was Grant Morrison. Oh, Dark Knight three, the Master Race. Not a not a great title. Um, yeah, that's a that's a title that goes like, oh no. Yeah. Uh, oh, Brian Azzarello. Yeah. That's why. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so maybe like they just... Because here's something, and I'm not embarrassed to admit this. Um, I've read The Dark Knight Strikes Again like three times. I don't know what the fuck's happening in that comic. (laughs) But you like it. No. Oh. (laughs) I don't know. Like, I'm not... I don't dislike it because I don't know what's happening. And I've read like other people's breakdowns of it, and I'm like, that's interesting, I guess, but I don't see it when I read the comic. <laughs> like, The Dark Knight Returns is like a genuinely great comic, even if Frank Miller is like crazy conservative. Like, it's still a really good comic. It's kind of the like uh, John Milius problem sometimes, mm-hmm. where it's like, well, fuck, like- he's actually, he actually knows what he's doing. Frank Miller just at some point also completely forgot how to tell a story. Mm. well i think part of like like my like issues with dark knight returns for like a long time was just that you know we're we're kind of grew up in that era where everything needed to be killing joke dark knight returns and like everything had to go for that like we need to be that for the next generation Mm -hmm. and you end up just like you know with diminishing returns of like lesser stories yeah and so that got exhausting and so i was like i don't need that anymore Mm-hmm. But like revisiting it, like from a conversation recently I had, I was like, "No, Dark Knight Returns is still the shit." Like, yeah, it's like a great book. It's great. It's just that everyone that's like lifted from it didn't actually kind of do what that comic was doing, you know? 
yeah it's kind of a radical comic too you know yeah. like very again for someone who's very conservative pretty off anti-authoritarian you know yeah which is like you know maybe not frank miller as a person but but it's also like batman firing a machine gun and like killing people and a lot there's so much crazy shit in that comic and yeah right like it gets it gets like all this credit for being like this dark gritty reinterpretation but it's also insane he gets in a fist fight <laughs> with mutants <laughs> yeah i mean like you know there's that whole nerd debate about like would batman beat superman if there was enough prep time like no just just look at that subject matter batman fighting superman that's like that's huge yeah it's like a huge nerd thing and it's in the middle of this like world-renowned comic book also i think one thing that makes dark knight returns brilliant and someone who maybe just lifted images from it without really thinking about it for his fight with batman versus superman um that fight is like maybe two, three pages. It's like over real quick, which is one of the things I really like about it. I don't know. I think if you did a movie adaptation of it, it could still be pretty good. I think you could do a series. I think Dark Knight Returns is one of those things where like you could make a TV series out of that. Oh, okay. I haven't heard that before. I, I really think that. Because um, there's also, because I will say like all the sequels, um, from like which you know i didn't understand dark knight <laughs> strikes again um i've just read a little bit about the master race there's a lot of material there that like you could make into a tv series and it's this honestly like really good idea of like you know frank dark knight returns and watchmen is like this one-two punch of like actually superheroes are kind of bad you know mm-hmm. and uh Dark Knight Returns just does it with DC's actual universe where it's like at some point this is all going to end very badly <laughs> you know mm-hmm. like all this idealism that Batman and super- characters like Batman and Superman start with it it's it doesn't end well and that's a really interesting story and it's also not a very commercial one so and you can see people have tried to tell that story with mixed success I will say <laughs> Well, that's why I think the next Avatar series, if there is one, should be post-apocalypse Avatar. <laughs> it's post-apocalypse and then sci-fi future, right? I think that's what yeah. we stumbled upon. Well, the one I was like, I wanted, I want like Mad Max Avatar, and then I want like Ray Gun Punk Avatar. Okay, <laughs> they go to space. No I idea how that, that works, but I've been rewatching Dragon Ball Z, and it turns out you could just make shit up. <laughs> <laughs> Is, is Dragon Ball Z like good or is it like it was on in the 90s good? Yes. Okay. Um, it's it's weird. I, I've been re-watching it because I'm at that point in quarantine. <laughs> and uh, the one, what was I going to say? There's literally an episode where they're in the middle of a fight and Vegeta just goes, wait, I think Goku's going to be here in like an hour. So let's just wait for an hour. <laughs> and oh the whole God. episode, everyone just stands around waiting. And it's a lot of that. I, I was like, I was rewatching it that it, they, they drag those fucking fights out so long to the point where I honestly believe you could watch every other episode of Dragon Ball Z and still get what's going on. <laughs> 
Really? I think I think so. Um, there's another version. There's like Dragon Ball Z Kai, which I have not watched, so I can't speak to the quality of it. But it's like a re-edited version of the show that makes like that kind of fixes some of the pacing problems. Um, but I don't know how well the uh, the editing was actually done, so I don't know if it improves things. <laughs> so much <clears throat> like Goku. No. <laughs> Speaking of Kai, <laughs> um, Vegeta straight up like massacres an entire planet of people and then becomes a good guy. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, what a series! It's 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 a interesting show. <laughs> Speaking of interesting. Guys. What episode are yeah. we on? We're still on. We're, we're on the Earth Queen. We're gonna wrap up on the Earth Queen really quick. So, uh, Zuko, when he goes up to the the North Pole, he reunites uh, with Eska and Desna, mm-hmm. right? That's their names. And then Koro's father, Tonrock, um, and they all visit Zaheer's last imprisoned comrade, Pali, who is a firebender. And we won't find it out till the next episode, but she gets to do the the old sparky sparky boom man trick and combustion bend. He does say um, that he hired a sim someone with similar powers to kill the avatar. Oh yeah, that's right. Never mind. That was this episode. That. And then it was like didn't work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for stuff well, like they- that, I'll just put the clip in, but like yeah, it's pretty great. You know, whenever whenever they say Tonrock, though, I just think like Tonrock and Gelada Tanagra. <laughs> like, what? You don't know that? No. From Star Trek. I don't remember that. You don't remember the Darmok episode? No. Oh my god, it's a great. You should watch. You should as soon as this is over, you should watch that. Okay. Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. I'm trusting you on this. You, I can't believe if you haven't seen that episode, you you are in for a fucking treat. Don Rock. How do you spell it, Don Rock? No, well, tar- Darmok. Oh, Darmok. So, yeah, the episode's called Darmok. And the guy just keeps saying Darmok and Gelada Tanagra. Darmok. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the, the the red lizard man. Yeah, and then, like you remember that episode. <laughs> Remember the guy. You should rewatch it. Okay. Shaka when the walls fell. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> we got that set up, and uh, oh, Kai gets imprisoned with the other secret army of Earth Airbenders beneath the Earth Queen's palace. We got a very, uh, very obvious callback with "There are no Airbenders in Bossing Say." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, some things never change, even though they should, is kind of yeah. the message of this episode. All right, and then we're on to chapter four, harm in harm's way. And we get to see the rest of Zaheer's team free Pali from her prison, and she gets to combustion bend all over the place. She breaks out because everyone in the Avatar universe is bad at their job. <laughs> uh, kind of. But to be fair. None of these people have ever fought an Earth Airbender before. Excuse me. What, what's Earth. the combustion girl's name again? Pali. Pali. 
and she reunites with uh what's his name and they kiss and it's very romantic i guess this is here yeah i mean romantic for them not really for like anybody else because it'd be a shame if their story ended in horrific violence oh my god <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but this is the big rescue mission episode, and it, it kind of feels like it's almost a mini season, like in these four episodes. You know, the Earth Queen's kind of the antagonist for these, like, yeah, beginning stuff, and that's kind of neat. And we just get a bunch of like, th- this is like an action heavy episode, so there's not like a lot to talk about there. But uh, Lin Beifong also arrives to tell Cora that, like, hey, uh, this dude who's been trying to kill you your whole life is coming after you again to try to kill you. So uh, I'm here to protect you and to warn you about that. And Zuko literally says in the last episode that if these four people get together, they're powerful enough that they could destroy the entire world. <laughs> like, yeah, it's not. It's concerning. <laughs> Everyone's so concerned. A, and Korra's like, I'm kind of busy at the moment. You know what would have taken care of this problem? A gun? Yeah, if Avatar Aang <laughs> <laughs> maybe killed them. <laughs> no, remember, he couldn't, though. Yeah, hey. Aang was already dead, so. Sokka's got that boomerang, though. I wonder if Sokka was still alive. Hey. I don't know. Only only Sokka and Aang are gone, so. I, I guess uh, Suki. We never see her, so. Yeah. Yeah, she deserved a little more. Yeah. A lot. There's a lot of characters on Avatar that kind of deserved more. Well, you know what? I, I don't know about deserve. It would have been nice to hear about them or see them, but yeah. I also don't. I don't think it's like lesser for not having them mentioned. You know what I mean? It should have ended like Animal House, where like they wrote underneath everyone what they did afterwards. <laughs> uh, Sokka. Boomy whereabouts unknown. <laughs> King Boomy <laughs> whereabouts unknown. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, this I... is just it. This is kind of just like a very solid, like action-heavy episode. Yeah. Oh, and the the Earth Queen basically like goes to war against Korra. Like, yeah, she's never allowed to go back to Bossing State, which is kind of like like I get why why these these early episodes do this, but it's also like, man, Korra literally doesn't fit in anywhere. She left home. She was exiled from Public City, and now she's going to be chased by the ruler of the entire Earth Kingdom. Like that's not a great. What's funny about record. it is that like no one takes the Earth Queen seriously. <laughs> oh no, no, I mean that's like good, but it's like it's kind of like this issue that starts bubbling up almost, you know. And I don't think it's dropped, quite frankly, but we'll get there eventually. Mm. Okay, uh, we'll we will see. Yeah, it contributes to to a bigger point, but it's that comes later. Um, but yeah, not not a lot going on like. In, in a huge sense in this episode, but it is neat to see that uh, Korra and Tenzin start coming to terms with like the kind of people that are going to be in the, the air nomads now. You're telling and me like, Aang couldn't put pressure on the air king, so, I mean the earth king, to get rid of the Dai Li? Yeah, maybe he could have. Aang, Aang, Aang had a great heart. And yeah. Head. <laughs> like... <laughs> um, maybe it's one of those things that just after Aang was gone, maybe they reinstated it, you know? Yes, it's, it's the Simpsons joke about the Soviet Union. <laughs> like, Soviet Union, we thought you guys broke up. It's like, that's what we wanted you to think. 
<laughs> Maybe. I don't he pushes know. the button and like all the shit turns back into the Soviet Union. <laughs> I, I don't know. It, it's um, it's almost like they're too intrinsically tied to the monarchy and the Earth Kingdom, you know. And so, yeah. like, couldn't get rid of them if you didn't get rid of the monarchy. And it's more believable that Aang wouldn't see that as the problem mm-hmm. than just the Dai Li. And I will say, I think I talked about the uh, the Earth Queen brings up that like land was taken from the Earth Kingdom to build Republic City, and that is a big part of the uh, Avatar Last Airbender comics that I've been reading. Mm-hmm. So um, it's interesting how they tied that in. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's not forgotten about for this series. So yeah, more on that in the future. Um, but again, I, I just want to mention that I, I really like how they've they started to grow the the air nomad culture because it's like these are all just kind of refugees and prisoners of uh, yeah. political prisoners, you know. You can either come and with us like... or stay in this dirt poor city. <laughs> and so naturally they they go with them, but they do give them the option, and you know, like the, the circumstances are a little wonky, but I like that Cora and Tenzin are at peace enough now to be like, look. At some point, it it's it comes down to the individual's choice. We can't force yeah. you to do anything, even if they're being chased by warmongering Earth. It brings the Tenzin to tears. Yeah, uh, Ten, Tenzin gets a lot of great stuff this season. He's like a, a military recruiter at a poor high school. <laughs> no, no, it's <laughs> not the same at all. Hey, what are you gonna do? <laughs> He's like the Jedi. That worked out well. Ang CGI face really brought me to tears. <laughs> oh, but chapter five, the Metal Clan. So Tenzin and the rest of the the Air Nomads. Yeah, I think I wanted part of the reason why I wanted to end on this is just because like that last episode, there wasn't a ton to talk about. Like we would have just been like, yeah, they fought. Yeah, they fought, and the action's great as always in the show continues to get more inventive now that there's a bunch of airbenders in the mix and yeah. how that escalates this season is tons of fun I like too that but they, they, they're finding a good balance with boomy still being a joke but also like actually knowing what he's doing sometimes yeah yeah i mean that was one of my favorite parts of season two the revelation that like yeah he's an idiot but he also took out like an entire army by himself yeah he's great like, that oh, rules yeah um yeah chapter five the metal clan so Team Avatar splits off to set up uh, the new Air Nomad dynasty, basically. And, uh, or temple, excuse me. Dynasty is mm-hmm. not what we want to do here. Yeah, no, no. They're <laughs> dynasty. Well, Lin, Korra, Asami, Bolin, and Mako head to Zhaofu. It's a city made of metal led by Su Yin Beifong. Lin's hey. estranged half-sister. Voiced by Anne Heish. Yeah. From the remake of Psycho. <laughs> this is to make up for starring in the remake of Psycho. Yeah. That's no, exactly no. what this is. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I read an interview with Anne Hayes and she said, I'm doing this to make up for the remake. I don't know. <laughs> she was also in Cedar Rapids, which people have told me is very good. She was also in the film Volcano. <laughs> Oh, everyone loves Volcano. <laughs> the the movie that like 
underperformed compared to Dante's Peak. Remember when they used to be dueling movies? Yeah, the last one was like White House Down and Olympus Has Fallen. Yeah. Quite frankly, I don't understand how White House Down wasn't the one that got a series, but whatever. Mm. Oh, uh, she was also in uh, fucking The Other Guys. She was in that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's uh, the the board woman villain she's only in like a scene or two okay she's kind of like the antagonist behind the scenes that's a great movie other guys is a solid film i i think that movie is so fucking hysterical i don't know i i hear a lot of that where you're coming from like yeah it's pretty good but like Mm -hmm. i a few movies make me laugh harder so maybe it's my low bar the only thing I remember about that movie is the guy trying to force, I think, Will fail to have sex with his wife. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, that's, the only, that's the only scene I really remember from it. I would recommend you watch it again. I think it's gotten funnier over time and, and, and oddly I, more uh, depressing. I also remember, like, the big scene in it. I also remember the movie, like, stops to explain what a Ponzi scheme is. Yeah, it does like, that a lot. <laughs> I remember it's like, wow, this guy has some points to make about <laughs> our economic system. Well, the entire credit sequence is like it's just explaining like all the, the economic bullshit about the yeah. fight. It's so weird. Um, but hey, also it has uh isn't it John Oliver? <laughs> isn't he the banker in it? No, no, it's um oh my god, what's his name? I could have uh, sworn it was John Oliver. Steve Coogan. Oh, it's fucking Steve Coogan, of course. <laughs> what is that? Fucking Coogan. What's wrong with Steve Coogan? Nothing, but I, I could have sworn it was the other one. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. Oh, and Ice-T is the narrator. Yeah. That's a great movie. I, I think everyone should watch it. I think it was one of those movies that, like, they kind of mismarketed that movie. Mm-hmm. Like, because they tried to make it seem like it was going to be about two other characters. <laughs> oh. And then it made that scene land a lot better. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, it did. But, uh, yeah, I think some people were. I remember people being very angry about that. Oh, my God. My theater, like, it destroyed. I know, but I remember, like, after the movie. Like, oh, it was like, I everyone see, thought that scene was funny. But then I think people were like, they got to come back. <laughs> and then, <laughs> what do you say, aim for the bushes or something? <laughs> yeah, and then, then you look at the scene and it's like, wait a second. <laughs> That's one of the funny. That is, that is one of the funniest scenes ever. <laughs> the music's perfect too. It's that's good stuff. Team Avatar arrives in Zaofu, a metal city, led by Su Yin Beifong, Lim's estranged half sister, voiced by, voiced by, Anne Heche. Yeah, everyone loves Anne Heche, right? I don't know what the public opinion of her is. Anne Heche was one of the first like celebrities that kind of had like a very public like mental breakdown and it was like a tabloid story really i didn't know that. yeah yeah so kind of like a dry run of like what charlie sheen became oh yeah that's too bad well you know hollywood i'm sure handled it with grace no did you see that britney spears documentary no (laughs) you know what was the best thing about watching that not watching it no, it was the knowledge that we'll never make that mistake ever again. <sighs> I literally watch that with people who just half the time I talk to them 
complain about other celebrities. And I was just like, why do you care? <laughs> Things are good. But they go to this city because Su Yin's daughter and Lin's niece, Opal, is a new airbender. And Opal Yay. is voiced by Allison Stoner. Who's that? She was the, the, the little quirky daughter in the Cheaper by the Dozen movies with Steve Martin. Oh, yeah. I saw that movie. It was the first movie I ever hated. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not good. It's not good. I'm not. Yeah, no, there's no her. nostalgia here for those remakes. Yeah. That's that, that, that is the movie where, like, when I put down like, my flag, I'm like, what was the first movie you saw in theaters that you didn't like? It was Cheaper by the Dozen. <laughs> I was like, how could Steve Martin betray me? I'm like, 11. <laughs> oh no I was, yeah I was 10 uh, 10 years old I, I was betrayed by steve martin <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so she she's kind of i think she's like the same age as us actually that's that's sad yeah you know what, you know what moment really hurt in this <laughs> just me saying that no uh when they go to throw uh when they go to throw john heater out of the basement that he's living in Oh, and, and she's like, he's 22. He's still figuring his life out. And that's like supposed to be sad. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, ha, ha, <laughs> <laughs> Good joke, guys. Well, you know. Things are bad. <laughs> <laughs> we got to talk about how fucking perfect it is that, uh, Lynn, uh, <laughs> I mean, that um, fucking Toph had two children from different fathers. Yeah. That yeah. is exactly what I expect to happen. Yeah, I mean, like, because kind of think about it. She's someone whose whole, like, personality at a very young age didn't want to be, like, held down or, or restricted by, like, cultural norms and, like, you know in one capacity like what's more normal than like the nuclear family why would she want that yeah why, why would she even think of participating in that yeah um i'm quite frankly just a little shocked that she only had two kids <laughs> well we don't know i guess not yeah <laughs> the, the fact that that lynn does not bring up her her half sister at all for two seasons and then we just like even like to the point where like we're landing in the city that her sister built and she's not even thinking of like she's like i think i can still get through this without them making this connection <laughs> it's like there's probably like a dozen other Fongs out there well i mean um su yin may have taken after toff then because she has like eight kids or whatever right she's got the twins yeah. she's got opal she's got the art one and then she's got the the, the studious one you got the one that's like very focused, like very driven, I think you could say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, the one, you know, gonna be great, like gonna be great in like a leadership role someday. Real girl. Batar, excuse me, Batar Jr. Yeah. 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 Batar, just might want to remember that name for a little bit. I think uh I think it's gonna go well. I, I see great things in the future. <laughs> yeah, that's not gonna come back to bite you in the ass, but um but no, it's it's this great other like family unit we're introduced to and mm -hmm. i keep praising the show for like being able to balance characters but we're introduced to like eight characters and i never lose track of anyone i'm never yeah. overwhelmed like that's nuts well they're uh, all very I... defined mm -hmm. oh and um, then uh opal and, and bolin 
like immediately start hitting it off too. Love is yeah. in the air this season from an early stage. Yeah, and good for Bolin, I guess. Although Opal seems like the exact opposite of his previous girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, because now he has more confidence in, in who he is as a person. I guess, yeah. You know? Yeah, we all change once we know what we want in life, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I just, it's so, it, it, it is funny to see that how uh, Lynn and Sue are just like the the two sides of Toph. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just, I don't know, that, that dynamic's a lot of fun. Um, and Lynn's a real jerk this episode. Oh, yeah, she's a real pain in the ass. Um, but I also just like that we get more from that character this season too because like she didn't really yeah. have a lot to do in the second season yeah that's the thing uh, she, like a lot of that, that that seemed to be a problem with season two is they didn't know what to do with the overabundance of characters they had mm-hmm. um so yeah um it's good to see her get her own little story here that also weaves into the narrative pretty well yeah this season like i think this is why we had a, a disagreement about how to approach about like this book in particular because i think the first four episodes and the following four episodes are very well defined in how they um they structured like the narrative right it's yeah. very clearly like act one and then act two and act three with like the bundles of episodes you know mm-hmm. like it's i don't know structure is is just like such an important component to television and yeah. i feel like so many shows have lost it Completely. It's, so weird that it's such a writer's medium and like there's so many badly structured shows out there i know <laughs> you think at this point they, like the shows would all just accidentally be good <laughs> or at least have like some sense of structure but no yeah no it's still pretty rare we also uh, meet the character uh is it i Wei? is that how you say it i Wei, yeah yeah i Wei, voiced by the great maurice lamarche and we're just a whole new uh, style of bending called truth seeing or whatever. She's a truth seer is what they say, right? Yeah. And he can literally sense the heartbeats or whatever. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, a, that's one of the things that Toph, like, introduced, basically. Because, yeah. you know, she, she oh, only yeah, sense she did people. That. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he again, we have this it. thing where, like, weirder guy about it <laughs> yeah but again we have that um this idea that like that the children of the great generation quote unquote like have so much to live up to that they could like make or break their like relationships with other people are they all boomers kind of i think they're kind of they're kind of some boomers these, yeah. these are these a lot of these characters on core are like boomers if they actually had introspection <laughs> yeah yeah, you know, like every once in a while, you get like a baby boomer who is like thinking about yeah the state of things and their actions, and it's, it's you know thankfully less rare in uh in this show the baby boomers. But anyways, I just wanted to say that Su Yin clearly like flourished where Lin did not flourish, yeah. and and she is a bitter Batman woman. Well, is it that Lin didn't flourish, or that they just they have completely different? goals and what they want in life <laughs> i think lynn's definitely upset about the fact that she's kind of alone in the world <laughs> yeah oh, oh okay i guess that that's a better way of putting it i think that definitely bothers her but it also seems yeah. like she's 
she's someone who's like, I stuck to the rules. This is how I, I want to be that person. And she's annoyed that her sister's the exact opposite. Yeah. And also, their sister, and you know, it's the thing of like when you're siblings, and this is why Thanksgiving dinners are so awkward. <laughs> because, you know, especially with siblings, you remember your siblings when they were at their absolute dumbest. And so whenever they try to talk with any authority, you just remember those dumb moments. <laughs> And it's just that weird, like, she clearly disagrees. And, it, it, like, Sue never got her, like, Sue never got her comeuppance that Lynn thought she would get, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I, like, I want to make clear that, like, when I say flourish, I don't mean, like, because Lynn doesn't have a family or anything like that, because mm-hmm. that's not, you know, like you said, that's not that character's, like, goal in life. They're happy yeah. with where they are, but they might not be happy with who they are. And that's, yeah. that's a separate issue than the nuclear family aspect, you know? Yes. Yeah. There's unresolved shit there that we'll get into next time. Um, but really a, a couple more. each other of breaking the family apart. <laughs> that's pretty yeah. harsh. <laughs> that's, that's pretty rough. But uh, guess who couple... shows up? Varric. So Suyin's harbaging, harbaging a fucking fugitive. You know, but he was never convicted. <laughs> that's what he says. That's, that's also true, but you know, doesn't look great. War profiteering. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know, but I think that's why Zhao uh, Fu is such like a, a like a, a I don't know. I don't have words anymore. But like, it's such an interesting city in this world because it's almost like a place where characters go to like rebuild who they are you yeah. know <laughs> and so Varric's kind of just like rebuilding himself in a way but uh mm-hmm. maybe, well, maybe not really not as much introspection it's also just showing like the shift in just the culture between like what we just went from bossing say which used to be the great city to now this is the great city mm-hmm. there's a lot of shit it's just it, it thinks about a lot of these things on a more overtly political level than Last Airbender did. Um, not to say Last Airbender didn't think about it, but it's just a lot more front and center here. It, it's front and center, but it's also, um, it's got a more modern view of politics. Well, not so much yeah. modern already, I guess. It's kind of like the jump Sergio Leone made when he made uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly to Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah, that's exactly like it. That's exactly. That's not even a joke. Is. That's kind. Of, I think that is actually like a pretty apt comparison. Yeah, because like one, Good, Bad, and the Ugly is a very political film, but that's not like it's not overtly about that. <laughs> like you know, mm-hmm. it has a lot to say about war and justice and honor and shit. And then Once Upon a Time in the West is literally like a fight over land rights, as related to where a railroad will go. <laughs> yeah, and I mean like. The Last Airbender did have like pointed political commentary, but the overall story and the arcs are like much more simple on on like a broad scale. They're they're way simpler. About the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yes. (laughs) No, it it does. It fits. Can't even get mad. Um, (laughs) About Legend of Korra, it starts contextualizing things in a world that's evolving. And that makes things much more difficult yes. for everyone. And it's um, it's a much more personal show in a way 
I would argue, you know, it's, it's much more introspective. Yeah. Cause it, it kind of has to be. <laughs> um, well, I always say like, there's, a, there's two sides. Another, I think I've made this comparison before. So if I have just like, I don't know, hit me or something, but uh, I, I, there's a lot of similarities between the, the avatar and Korra are very similar to the jump from, the first Babe movie to Babe Pig in the City. <laughs> I don't know if you brought it up here, but we've definitely brought up Babe Pig in the City. Yeah, well, because it's just like the first Babe is, you know, a very simple story about like finding your place in the world and who you are and all that stuff. It's a very like classic, you know, character journey, especially kids films. And then Babe Pig in the City is like, all right, you figured out who you are and what you want. Now you got to live in the world, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the jump between Last Airbender and Korra. I mean, like, looking back at the beginning of Korra, it's like she felt comfortable with who she was supposed to be, according mm-hmm. to the world. But then she doesn't know who she is supposed to be for herself, you know? Exactly. And, like, another show that I watched recently, She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. Hey! <laughs> yeah, which is terrific. Yeah. Um, by the end, that show has to like kind of reprioritize its, its central character and ask like okay like let's say we do win what do you mm-hmm. want after that is this enough for you <laughs> probably not <laughs> just something to think about also soul the pixar film kind of addresses Fuck something similar movie. you didn't like soul <laughs> i hated soul okay i uh, i wasn't in I love was, with it but i, I was I, so I, I was on board it. with soul until the twist happened in it you're gonna have to be more specific like at the end with the cat oh Oh, okay okay i was like fuck this it was like doing so well and they fucked it all up well i like the ending i i wasn't in love with it either honestly but um this is something i thought about watching on the other side of the world uh zahir and his crew escaped no, whoops. That already happened. Like, everyone's everyone already escaped, but Zaheer has in, like integrated into the uh airbenders that have arrived in Republic City. Um, yeah, so we got a shade to be, It's like, oh, I just woke up one day and I could do uh, airbending. Didn't bother to change his clothes though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like when all the airbenders are standing there, they're like all in airbender robes, and then there's him who looks like he just <laughs> fell out of a ditch. <laughs> Like, it makes sense because, like, he had, like, the long hair in the opening. So, like, all right, so he shaved, so they don't recognize what he looks like, blah, blah, blah. That, that I kind of, that's all right. But uh, it's it's honestly really good because he's very uh, kind in a way, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, he's being very nice. He's like, oh, you know, I just showed up. And, I'm, like, he's, and it makes him creepier and more intimidating when he's, like, yeah. not being overtly evil. <laughs> there is a genuine, like, sense of peril when Kaya catches him in that room. Yeah. You know, and they have like a pretty quick showdown. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But it, like, there's a real sense of danger around that character. I wonder if it will pay off. It won't. It might. (laughs) Um, I don't want to, I don't want to drag. Um, any of this but uh yeah there's stuff that happens but like um no it's it's he's he's a genuinely scary villain and yeah. uh 
we'll have to talk away. more about him next time. He gets away, and just so this doesn't end on such a happy note as the villain getting away, this episode ends with Lynn yelling at Opal. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a kind of a downer. Yeah, that's a fucking real downer. I think Cora does call her out, though, too, right? Like, yeah, Cora. Well, that's Cora gets like real mean. She's like, that's why you're alone. That's what she basically says. And it's and, like, uh, she's not wrong. Yeah, not totally wrong. It's just, it's one of those things where, you know, if you're ever having a fight with someone <laughs> and there's that moment where you're like, am I going to actually get mean right now? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And you have to kind of decide in that moment, like, am I going to cross this line? Because if I cross this line, it's gonna be bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, Cora kind of doesn't pause, take that pause all the time. And you know, like we've, we've been talking about the similarities between Tenzin and Cora, but I think Cora and and Lynn are also similar in ways that they haven't really realized yet. And it's not to the same capacity as Tenzin and Cora, but I, I think the the answering with fists over words might be a a point of comparison between them. There's a bitterness, I think, with Lynn that's not really there in Cora yet, but I, I think in a way that's like kind of almost who she can become if she hadn't found like this found family, you know? What a great episode. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, next time. <laughs> yeah. It does end on a downer, uh, but next time we'll be talking about Chapter 6, Old Wounds, Original Airbenders, The Terror Within, and the stakeout yeah yeah it's four episodes because you did five today great. yep everything is great i keep saying that because like if i look away from the recording for like if my notes for two seconds and look at anything else going on in the world it's very much not great <laughs> but hey we have this podcast and we have this show and it will not answer any of life's problems, but it does entertain me and make me happy. So yeah, and that's I'm sure what I got right now. Things will, in this country will not get worse than they are on March 2nd, 2021. The day the <sighs> governor of Texas decides to lift all social distancing mandates. Well, Matt, <laughs> until then, where can the people find you? I'm I'm still hiding in my house, so you can find me at emperortn one at twitter.com or emperortn on Twitch. And you can find me at the Diego Crespo and check out the Waffle Press on Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Patreon, where you can get early access to book four, probably by the point this is released to the oh, public. Hey, oh, hey. Yeah, the final book, Legend of Korra, and definitely the rest of this book, book three, change. Uh, we'll hear about all of our other you can hear all our tangents things. that we go on that yeah oh yeah this is like a two and a half hour episode for um for the patreon listeners you're welcome yeah you're going to hear us ramble about things we don't totally understand <laughs> patreon's for you <laughs> thanks for listening thanks for watching stay safe out there we have been professionally unprofessional.